Since 2001, combination therapy with pegylated interferon with ribavirin is considered the standard of care in hepatitis C treatment. In clinical trials, 50 to 60% of patients treated with combination therapy achieved a sustained virologic response, or SDR, meaning the virus is undetectable in their blood. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothill Psychiatry in Boise, your host, and with me today is Dr. Jorge Herrera. Dr. Herrera is Professor of Medicine and Assistant Director of the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of South Alabama College of Medicine in Mobile, Alabama. He has published numerous articles and journals, including the American Journal of Gastroenterology and Digestive Diseases. He has also contributed chapters to books such as Secrets in Gastroenterology and recently served as a guest editor for Practical Gastroenterology and its Viral Hepatitis series. His current research focuses on high-dose antiviral therapy as well as the use of pegylated interferon in the treatment of chronic hepatitis C infection. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. It's my pleasure being here today. Uh, thank you. Dr. Herrera, after a patient receives test results showing that they have chronic hepatitis C, what are the most immediate next steps a physician should take with the patient? That's an excellent question. And I think that the most important thing is education. Take a few minutes to reassure the patient that even though this is a new diagnosis for them, it's a condition that has been in their system for years, often decades. That by itself will really decrease the anxiety level in a lot of these patients. So explain to them that this is something that has been happening for a while. This is not a diagnosis that is going to impact on their health in the next month or even years, but that it does need to be worked up. I think that's the first step they need to do. The second one is they need to counsel them on behavior modifications. And the most important one is alcohol, alcohol use. It is clear that regular use of alcohol is associated with a more rapid progression of liver disease in patients that have hepatitis C. We don't really know if there's a safe level of alcohol use. So what I do in my practice, honestly, I just tell patients, don't drink any alcohol. Because I know that if I tell them that, you know, they may drink alcohol occasionally and that may be okay. But if you tell them a little bit it's okay, you don't know how much more they're going to go. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it's important to explain to them the importance of discontinuing alcohol use in their lifestyle. And the other thing that we have learned over the last few years is the negative impact of obesity. Uh, we know that obesity is associated with fatty infiltration of the liver, and we have now plenty of information that clearly shows that obesity predisposes to more rapid progression of liver disease towards cirrhosis and also has a very negative impact on the ability of our treatment to work. So one of the things that I tell my patients, and I know that there's many other reasons why people need to lose weight, but at least this is one more that they really need to lose weight. And we're not talking about going back to ideal body weight, but we're talking about maybe losing 10 or 15 pounds. That may be enough to tip the balance so that when, even when we treat them, the treatment will be more effective. Now, how about medicines, either prescription or over-the-counter, that they need to avoid? Yes, uh, Leslie, that is an excellent question because there's so much misinformation out there. I mean, you cannot turn on the television without listening about a new drug that you should not take if you have liver disease. It seems like every drug says that. And that is usually not that important. What I mean by that is this. A person that, that was diagnosed with hepatitis C by what I call by chance, you know, based on their liver test or based on the risk factors, they usually have totally normal liver function. And those patients can be treated with any of the common medications that we use. Specifically, and I want to make a specific case here, is for the statins, the medications to treat cholesterol. 
I think that primary care physicians are doing more harm by withholding those drugs once they diagnose hepatitis C, by withholding the statins, than they would by continuing the statins. The reason for that is that these patients usually have comorbidities, that's why, you know, hyper, high cholesterol. And what you're doing is you're worsening their heart disease. It's going to kill them sooner than anything that the liver will do. So there is plenty of data that shows that statins are safe in patients with hepatitis C and with fatty liver. Not only that, but there's data that suggests that statins actually help liver disease and hepatitis C. In fact, the hepatitis C virus uses the same receptor in the cell as the cholesterol receptor. And there is a very complex interaction between statins and hepatitis C, which actually may be helpful. So there's no need to discontinue statins or glitazone for diabetes when a diagnosis of hepatitis C is made. And I think that's an important message that I want to make sure gets across. There's plenty of data to suggest that. You know, not being a GI specialist, I always worry about Tylenol. Is that safe right. for these patients to use? That is another excellent question. Tylenol, there's no question, is a predictable hepatotoxin. What I mean by that is that if you take an entire bottle of Tylenol at once, you will get liver damage. But having hepatitis C does not increase the risk of acetaminophen toxicity. So that if a person has mild hepatitis C, by that I mean they have normal albumin, bilirubin, prothrombin time, in other words, the liver function is normal, they can take the same dose of acetaminophen as a healthy person, which is one gram four times a day, every six hours, which would be four grams a day. Now, I don't recommend to anyone, even healthy people, to take the maximum dose of acetaminophen every day for more than five days in a row, because there is some evidence in the literature that even in healthy people, that can cause some liver problems. But, you know, if you need to use the maximum dose for two or three days for an acute injury or something like that, that's fine. And then after that, start tapering the dose down. So there's no reason to discontinue acetaminophen use just because someone has hepatitis C or, for that matter, fatty liver. Now, what questions are important to ask the patient when you need to decide on a course of treatment for hep C? In most instances, treatment is going to be discussed mainly by the specialist. But there are, and I wish there will be more primary care doctors that have taken the time to learn about hepatitis C treatment and may be doing that in their office. So I think that all the specialists need to know about this. The treatment for hepatitis C, unfortunately, is difficult. It consists of a combination of interferon therapy with oral ribavirin pills that can have significant side effects. So we usually put a lot of thought into who to treat. And there are some absolute contraindications that can be easily identified early on that will make the patient not a candidate. And probably the most important of those is anyone that has a clear autoimmune disease. Interferon is, uh, is an immune stimulant. And uh, so if you, we give it to someone with an autoimmune disease like lupus nephritis or severe psoriasis or anything like that, or rheumatoid arthritis, it really can do a lot of harm. That doesn't mean that none of those people can be treated. It, it just needs to be done by someone that has a lot of experience uh, using interferon. Likewise, we have learned that people that, that continue to abuse alcohol number one, are less likely to be compliant with the treatment, and number two, are much less likely to respond. So someone that is not willing to discontinue alcohol use is another person that we wouldn't think about treating. And the third group we can probably pretty obviously exclude from early on are people with severe psychiatric disturbances. In, uh, and I'm sure you know, you know about that more than I do. But people with uh, the taking interferon is a compound that really affects the brain. The side effect that we are most familiar with is depression. Uh, it really can cause depression in totally normal people. It will worsen depression in people that are severely depressed. But most importantly, in particularly in bipolar patients that are not well-controlled, 
mania can be an emergency when you put them on interferon. So anytime that you have a person with severe depression or with any kind of psychiatric illness, you really need to have a psychiatrist on board that will evaluate the patient, assess how stable they are, and be willing to carry that patient with austerity treatment. Now, when you do treat with interferon, the length of treatment seems to vary tremendously. How do you decide how long to treat patients? That is true. The most important determinant is a genotype. A genotype is, is a blood test that we do on patients that we have made a decision to treat. And this uh, test will, uh, you can think of the genotype as the strain of the virus. And in the case of hepatitis C, we, we divide them into genotypes one through six. In the U.S., we almost 98% of the patients are going to be one, two, or three. And unfortunately, the majority, about 70% of Americans, will have genotype one. And I say unfortunately because it's the most difficult to treat. So based on genotype in general, patients with genotype 2 or 3, most of the time we can get away with only 24 weeks of treatment. Patients with genotype 1, on the other hand, need 48 weeks and sometimes longer. So the genotype is one of the first parameters that we use to decide on the length of treatment. Then how often do you monitor patients throughout this course of treatment? That's a long time. It is. It is a long time. Interferon has some important side effects that can only be detected by blood work, and that is that it it suppresses the bone marrow, so you can get thrombocytopenia and and leukopenia. Then ribavirin can cause hemolytic anemia, so you're basically affecting all three cell lines. And what we normally recommend, most of these changes are going to be detected in the first couple of months. So we usually monitor for complications or side effects on the first uh, three months every two weeks with uh, routine blood work, CBC, liver enzymes, and so forth. Uh, and then we also have to assess for response, and we do that by measuring the viral load, and we do that at week four and at week 12, week 24. Once you get to, to week 12, which is three months of therapy, usually patients remain pretty stable after that when it comes to hematologic toxicity, so we can then do the blood work every month. So the first three months are pretty intense, and we make a lot of decisions on that first three months, and then once we decide that the patient is responding and they're doing okay, then we usually see them about once a month. And how do they actually get the interferon? It's infusion? The interferon is a subcutaneous injection that they give themselves at home. The standard of care right now is pegylator interferon for naive patients, and those injections are given once a week. And the patient do it at home. They're very simple to do. It's not any more painful than an insulin injection. It's once a week. There are other interferons in the market that are not as often used for naive patients, patients that have never been treated, which have to be given either three times a week or daily but we usually reserve those more for the more resistant patients. But the two pegylator interference, pegintron and pegasus, uh, are the ones that we use uh, most often. Now, recently there's discussion about testing for a rapid uh, viral response at week four. Uh, what does this mean and what are the implications? Yeah, this is something that's uh, come about in the last couple of years. We have learned that, that if, you on, if you use viral kinetics, that is how quickly the virus drops on treatment, we can tailor the treatment to the patient. For example, Three years ago, we used to do our first viral load testing at week 12, after 12 weeks of treatment. And then we had some rules as to who is responding and who is not. And we soon realized that even among, quote, responders at week 12, we had a wide variety of ability to to eradicate the virus. So what we have learned is that if you move that testing period to week four, uh, you can identify what we call super responders. And those are patients that become negative after the first four weeks of treatment. We see that most often in genotype 2, and and in that, genotype 2 and 3 patients, it's very important to check the week 4 PCR because if they have any virus detected at week 4, that is usually a bad prognostic sign. 
meaning that they may have to be treated for more than 24 weeks. When we look at genotype 1, it's different. In genotype 1, we went to see a drop in viral load at week 4, but we're rarely, maybe 15% of the time to 20% of the time, will we see that the patient is negative. But if we do, if you have a lucky patient that is negative at week 4 and they otherwise have good prognosis like no cirrhosis, etc., we may be able to treat them for only 24 weeks instead of 48. What we're doing is we're using that early response to decide who needs to be treated, who can be treated for less time and who needs to be treated for more time than the standard recommendations. Well, thank you for being on our show today. You're welcome. My pleasure. We've been discussing the treatment of hepatitis C with gastroenterologist Dr. Jorge Herrera. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.